Well, happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. You guys are amazing. I'm looking at Joan Park. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, uh, yeah, yes. Um, but I just want to honor you guys. You guys are incredible. And the way you sacrificially love your kids is evident in who they're becoming and how they're reflecting Jesus. So thank you for that. And I hope today you're celebrated and you get to eat whatever you want. And just have a great day. Um, and just a little nudge, guys. If your mom is around, call your mom. And if you can, go see her. Just make, make, make a day of it for your mom today. So that being said, we're going to head into our second week, guys, of the Yes and Amen series. Um, I did change the slides. Praise the Lord. Um, you can hopefully be able to read them. Uh, but last week we started this new series called Yes and Amen, where we're going to spend from now until the end of June actually looking at the promises of God. And why are we doing this? Uh, it's, it's just simply this. We need to be reminded that there is a good God who is unfolding the story of redemption around us in real time and in real ways. The truth is that it doesn't often feel like that. It can be overwhelming when we look at the world around us and at the way things are going. And it can feel like, you know, what in the world is happening? And where do I put my trust? Where do I put my hope? And the thing that we talked about last week is that with, with the story of redemption that God is writing, Jesus is the hero of that story. And so that, that's what we want, we're wanting to focus our attention on, our affections towards the person of Jesus. Because with all these other storylines and ideas, other heroes are presenting themselves as such. So you may be feeling the pressure that you need to be the hero of your story. Or you may be believing that this person, this political party, this ideology should be the hero of your story. But we're going to try to reorient that around the person of Jesus. And in that place, hopefully you'll feel a new sense of peace and trust and hope for the future. So two goals for this series. Number one is to reveal and expose the trust structures we've built around things other than Jesus that we think we need to be happy and at peace. And then number two is to invite each other or us together as a community deeper into a committed, dependent, and trusting relationship with the God of the Bible. So that's what we're going to do between now and June. And so today we're going to look at the promise of he will finish what he started. He will finish what he started. And I love John, like we were saying, Waymaker. Like he's a promise keeper, he's a waymaker, he's a miracle worker. That's kind of the, the gist of what we're going to be thinking about today. And so we're going to read a lot of the Bible today, guys, and I'm not going to apologize for that. So this promise is, is rooted in the whole story of Scripture, but Paul says it pretty clearly in Philippians 1. So let me just read a few verses here. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And listen to this. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm sure of this. So for us as followers of Jesus, this is tied deeply to our spiritual formation, right? So we are living in a new covenant where Jesus has fulfilled all the Old Testament covenants on our behalf. We're invited into this new relationship with God. And so in this process, we're becoming who we really are in Jesus. And so we're partnering with the Spirit we're trying to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what he did. There's this whole process we're going through over a whole lifetime where we're becoming a new person, where we're living out this life in a long obedience in the same direction. Jesus says it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. He says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. 
So for us who are doing our best to learn from Jesus how to be a human being, that means that as we walk this out, Christ is going to be formed in us, and one day we're going to be, actually be like Jesus, and slowly but surely that's going to happen. This is really good news, but I don't know about you, but it's going a lot slower than I'd hoped. Yeah. Way slower than I'd hoped. And like any renovation, anyone ever done a re- renovation or is planning to do one? If you're planning on one, it's going to take a lot longer than you think. It's going to cost a lot longer. I'm looking at you, Andrew and Brittany. It costs more than you think, and eventually it'll get done. But um, that's the way it goes. But God is faithful to complete what he started, and that's what we're going to think about and look, look at a specific story in the Old Testament to kind of set us up for, for thinking about this together. So we're going to go through the, the story of a couple named Abraham and Sarah together. And so we're going to see how God was faithful to finish what he started in their story. Okay, so if you guys have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. Really, my Bible? Yeah, man. Turn it for you. It's a heavy Bible. So remember, guys, the story of Scripture is the framework for what we're thinking about. So God is the author of this story. Redemption is the story that he's writing. Jesus is the hero of this story. And our response can be trust. And that's what we're going to be thinking about together. So we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 12. This is after the Tower of Babel. This is after Noah. This is after all that. And God finds this guy, Abram, who is a random 75-year-old desert Bedouin. You guys know any of those? Okay. I know some potential maybe one day those people will be. But anyways, so let's read together from Genesis chapter 12. This is the beginning of Yahweh's interaction with Abram. So Yahweh said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I'm, I'm going to show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. So Yahweh is making a covenant with this guy, Abram. He's saying, listen, I'm going to make you into a nation, and I'm going to bless you, and you will be a blessing to the whole earth. Mm-hmm. So the story of redemption is continuing on. We see this here. And so this is a big deal, because to leave your country is, a, is, a, is no small order. And yeah. Sa- Sandra, yeah, right? <laughs> Amen. I mean, I'm a lot closer than you guys are, but see if this resonates with you guys, Terrence. This is from the Epic of Eden, Sandra Richter. Uh, His command that that Yahweh gives, go forth. In other words, leave everything and everyone that makes someone in a patriarchal society secure and trust God for a new identity and a new place. Let's take a moment to translate this into your current economic and social situation. It means this, leave your house, your job, your friends, your church, your relatives, abandon your inheritance, a 401k or an RESP, that will not transfer and maybe even the equity in your home. And go somewhere where you don't speak the language, you have no business contacts, friends or relatives, and trust God to make a new place for you. This was a very tall order indeed, 
especially in light of the fact that we have no evidence that there was any prior relationship between Yahweh and Abram. Does that resonate? Okay. So, this is a, a big ask. But somehow, Yahweh is compelling enough to Abram that he's willing to do that and leave all he knows to go and follow the word of God. So let's flip over a few years, fast forward a few years to Genesis chapter 15, and we'll pick up the story here. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram continued, Look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said, your offspring will be that numerous. Anyone ever been up north, like where there's actually no light pollution and yeah. seen the stars? It's unbelievable. But imagine like the desert where there's probably you can even see more stars. So look at the stars. If you, if you can even count them, your offspring is going to be that numerous. And he's saying this to a guy who has no children at the time who is in his late 70s. But listen, Abram believed Yahweh and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Yahweh reassures Abram of his word, and he's underlining it, he's doubling down. Abraham, or Abram believes Yahweh, even though he has these moments of doubt. But how about Abram's wife? How's she doing? Let's flip over into Genesis chapter 16. Let's pick up the story there. So they're both sitting with this promise, and, and how is it going to happen? Abram's wife Sarai had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her, I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her, then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge, may the Lord judge between me and you. Things get a little bit messy there as they're waiting. So let's fast forward another 13 years. So they have this, this kid named Ishmael, or Hagar and, and Abram have this kid named Ishmael. But 13 years later, Yahweh shows up on the scene again. When Abram was 99 years old, this dude is old, Yahweh appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. He's still doubling down on this promise. So in this next little interview, we'll skip over this. Abram's name is changed from Abram to Abraham, and God kind of lays out the sign of the covenant to be circumcision so the name Abraham means the father of a multitude. So again, he's just doubling down and reassuring this promise of a new identity and a new reality for Abraham now. And so this, let's pick up in verse 15 of chapter 17. God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. 
I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael were acceptable to you. If only my way works for you, God, is essentially what he's saying. But God said, No, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for this future, for his future offspring. It goes on. In Genesis 18, God comes to Abraham and Sarah, and, and they have a meal together. It's incredible. Read that when you have got some time. But we're going to pick up in verse 9 of chapter 18. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. God is asking. Uh, she's, she's there in the tent, Abraham answered. And the Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I, I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, No, you did. You did laugh. So then we go through this story. It's super weird. Sodom and Gomorrah. Read it if you want. Um, I'm just kidding. Read it. Uh, and then we pick up the story 25 years later after Yahweh first made a promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. Yahweh came to Sarah as he had said, and Yahweh did for Sarah what he had promised. Just sit there for a second. Yahweh came to Sarah as he had said, and Yahweh did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have told Abraham that, that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have born a son for him in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. God, I just ask that as we think through this together, as we process this together, that you would bring to our minds what we need to hear. Um, that you would soften our hearts, Lord. That you would help us grow in our trust um, for you. That you are a God who does miraculous things. And you are a God who's faithful to keep his word. So um, we just, I give you this time. I give you the words I've written on this piece of paper and ask that it would help us see you more clearly. Jesus as the hero of our story and that we would learn how to trust you more and more each day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to do something a little bit different, guys. I just wanted to, what are, did anything stick out to you guys? Just, we'll spend like two or three minutes. Just what stood out to you guys? As we listen to that story this morning, you probably heard it a million times if you grew up in the church. But anything new? 
Klaus. It, it occurred to me that when God changed their names from Abram to Abraham and Sarah to Sarah, that both of them have an ah in them, A-H. Mm. It's like an ah factor. Mm. <laughs> nice, I like that. <laughs> like, what is happening? Ah. <laughs> the part he said, um, when Abraham was like, Saying, like, if only you would accept my way. Mm. That was like, yeah. Mm. How often do you do that? Mm. And the same Sarah says, I can build a family. Mm-hmm. Like, like it was them doing it in their own strength. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the part that gets me is that they tried to do it on their own and they failed, but then God still yes. was faithful. Mm-hmm. With his promise, even though they were going the wrong direction, yep. he brought them back. Amen. Yeah. It took such a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Dang long time. 25 years. I don't know. I couldn't remember. Yeah. So the length of time, his faithfulness, even though they kind of went and did it their own way, our kind of desire to often do it our own way, and then the awe factor. What else? Joshua? Oh, sorry, sir. God's time. Mm. Yeah. Like he knew they weren't ready. Mm. Like their hearts weren't ready for what yeah. he had set before them. Mm. Mm. He's waiting for them to almost be unfaithful in, the, in some in some ways. Mm. And then uh, the redemption factor of that, and they're just his timing. Cool. One of the things that can be skipped over is that the consequence of them taking it into their own hands has been felt throughout all generations. Right. Down to yeah. the you know the, the yep. children of Ishmael against the yep. children of Abraham and yeah, Sarah. That's huge. Yeah. So that's all made in God's Well I don't know maybe not. Yeah. It's you know, we have the sovereignty of God, but there's certainly a consequence to our right our there's a ripple effect to our yeah. sin. Yeah. 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 God's yes. will or be, be obedient and when you look at a story 
of someone like it's describing who literally gave up everything yeah. to trust in a God which he might not have known at the time or had much experience with. It's really it's a humbling thing yeah. to think about that level of trust in anything. Like totally. if I even not even in God, but even in myself, like to be that trusting is a yeah, it humbles me and it and it convicts me and it challenges me mm. of what it actually looks like to follow God with all my life. Yeah. Mm. Great. Maybe one more thought, guys, and then Angela. I just love um, in chapter twenty one where it says the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Yes. He's a promise keeper. Right? Yes. And I love that there's laughter in it too. Yeah. thoughts guys um, I'm going to share just a few and some of these you guys already touched on a few things that I think are worth drawing our attention to uh, the first thing I, I wanted to kind of underline is that our circumstances and God's promises don't always line up and what I mean by that is like God is promising this 75 year old childless man his wife is barren that he's going to make a nation out of him and so we can look at our own circumstances of like of becoming like Jesus or like our own character flaws or whatever we can look inward and kind of disqualify um, God's promises based on our circumstances but this story kind of blows that up for us that God is bigger than our circumstances that his way prevails and that he is good in that way Yahweh promises a nation even though Sarai is barren and Abram is 75 and childless as they trust him um, Josh kind of hinted at this, but like the second thing I want us to think about is we were made to trust God. See, when, when Abram, so God says, look up at the sky, your, your, your descendants are going to outnumber the, the stars in the sky. Um, Abram, it says, Abram believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. And righteousness is right relationship. And so what we can take from that is humanity is made and created to trust its creator. And so this is a quote from John Scott that I think is helpful to think about here. Thanks, thanks Annabelle. Um, the description of faith as reasonable comes as a surprise to many people, since they have always supposed that faith and reason were alternative means of grasping reality and mutually incompatible. Is not faith a synonym for credulity and even superstition? Is it not an excuse for irrationality, for what Bertrand Russell called a conviction which cannot be shaken by contrary evidence? No. Although to be sure, faith goes beyond reason, it always has a firmly rational basis. In particular, faith is believing or trusting a person, and its reasonableness depends on the reliability of the person being trusted. It is always reasonable to trust the trustworthy, and there is nobody more trustworthy than God, as Abraham knew. So we were made to trust God. And the third thing is God will do things his way and in his time. As, we, as Joni and John both said, like Sarai took matters into her own hands. And that struck me, that, that verse that you said, Joni, like, I can build a family. So she's like saying, it's my way and in my time. And we always have a choice, guys, in our lives to, to make things happen or to, to let things happen. 
And so as we submit our lives to God, as we trust him, as we realize he can use all of our circumstances, there's going to be more and more evidence that we can trust the God to do things his way and in his time. Yet it's unbelievable, like Susie was saying, that God still redeems and restores even the bad choices we make and the times we force and make our way happen. But typically it results in a mess, and so we have to be aware of that as well. God kept his word. It's, it's just not often how Sarai and Abraham were expecting it or wanting it to happen, and how true is that for us? I know for me, there's so many times God's been faithful. It's just not how I thought it would be or not how I would do it. And this, I think, underlines and speaks to, to, maybe it's just me, but I think our collective desire for control. Like, I need to know what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen and what you're going to do, God, and why you're going to do it. But we're invited, and Abraham responded, into a, a relationship of surrender, of not really knowing what the future held, but God being so trustworthy, he, do, he dove in headlong anyways. And then one little thought, and then we'll, we'll read a couple of scriptures from the New Testament. I just loved how, how Yahweh came to, to Abram and said, live in my presence and be blameless. Like that, that's God's desire for us, that the story of redemption culminates in us being with God and him being with us, in us being blameless before him. Probably a million other things, but those are the things I thought worth mentioning this morning. So let's look at how Sarah and, or Sarah and Abraham are mentioned in the New Testament. How, how, do, how does Paul and the writer of Hebrews pick up on their faith? Yeah, dude. Exactly. So Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive it as, as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. Anyone else ever done that? I don't know where I'm going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. God was faithful to finish what he started. And then Paul, in Romans 4, I'm going to read from verse, verse 13. For the promise of Abraham or to his descendants that he, would be, that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise nullified. Because the law produces wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. There, this is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in God's sight, in whom Abraham believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, because he was fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to do. Sheesh. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. One more quote, guys, and then we'll, we'll end. For whether people keep their promises or not depends not only on their power, but also on their will to do so. Put differently, behind all promises lies the character of the person who makes them. Abraham knew this, and as he contemplated his own senility and Sarah's barrenness, he neither turned a blind eye to these problems nor underestimated them. But he remained himself Sorry, he reminded himself of God's power and faithfulness. Faith always looks at the problems in the light of the promises. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. He knew that God could keep his promises because of his power, and he knew that he would do so because of his faithfulness. Amen. Amen. God is faithful enough to finish what he started in you and me, and God is faithful to see it to completion. I want us to think about this as we close, guys. God wants to form Christ in us just like he wanted to form Isaac and Sarah. And some of us may feel barren, or some of us may feel senile, but the promise still remains that God has this dream of forming Christ in you and I, that he wants us to become our true selves in him, to learn from him how to be a human being. But this, this is only possible because we have a hero who is not ourselves. It is, it's the hero of Jesus who makes this possible. So how does this map onto our spiritual formation? Just three thoughts, and then that will be it for this morning. I want us to think about this as, as we're holding on to this promise that God will finish what he started in us, that he's going to make us who we really are in Jesus. Just like uh, Abram and Sarah, or Sarai, Jesus finds us in our circumstances. What I mean by this is that the God who pursues came, came to us in our broken, alienated, sinful state to make us whole, bring us close, and make us holy. So often we can disqualify ourselves because of our circumstances, maybe things we've done in the past, things that we are maybe doing right now, or things that we could even possibly do that could disqualify us from being made whole in Jesus. But see, what, what we realize even in the story of Abram and Sarai is that God can use everything. There's every, like God used a barren woman and an old man to birth an entire generation and, and nation. God can use every single bit of our story as part of his story of redemption. So there's nothing, there's no circumstance you may have found yourself in, may find yourself in, or may one day find yourself in that God cannot use to form Christ in you. And I want, to, I want us to remember this, that just like Abram was found by Yahweh wandering in the desert, we don't need to go and find God. God came and found us in Jesus. What we do, though, is we learn to allow God's work of transformation into all our circumstances. I like what John Stott was saying. It's, like, it's not that Abram and Sarai were unaware of their circumstances. They just faced them head on in light of who God is. Yeah. So we don't need to pretend like our circumstances aren't going on. Maybe we're in a season of, of drought or doubt or wonder or, or fear or whatever it might be. 
But let's be honest with God and bring him into our circumstances. And we might maybe surprised that he's already there waiting for us. So Jesus finds us in our circumstances no matter how dire. Number two, Jesus tr- teaches us to trust God. You may be here this morning and like, I don't want to trust God. I don't see him as faithful. And let's just take that for what it is. And that's not the end of your story. We are to learn from Jesus. We are invited to learn from Jesus how to trust the Father. Yeah. Right? Jesus comes and reveals to us what God is really like. And he also is revealing to us what someone, a human being, fully alive in God's kingdom looks like. And we as Christians, our story, our hope is based in the gospel, the the good news of who Jesus is, that ultimately Jesus trusted God for us on our behalf. You and I continually would not trust God. We would take matters into our own hands and produce an error. We would do things our way over and over and over again. But what we see in the garden is Jesus once and for all trusting God for us on our behalf as he submits his will to the fathers and all the way to the point of going to the cross. And in doing so, Jesus defeats sin, death, and hell on the cross on our behalf. So he comes as our representative to the Father, and he comes to represent the Father to us. And in that place, we are taught and instructed and seen what it looks like to trust God. You see, Jesus is here for so many reasons, but he wants to teach us how to trust God for his definition of good and evil. He says, okay, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Like he doesn't want to go to the cross, but he's trusting the will of the Father above his own desires. And in the process, showing us and revealing to us that God is actually good. And then the third thing, Jesus invites us to surrender to his way. We follow him. He is our king. He knows what we need better than we do. And we must let go of this illusion and desire for control that grips us so strongly. His way is actually better than our way, and his thoughts are truly higher than our thoughts. Christ is going to be formed in you as you submit yourself to him and allow him to be the hero of your story. So so in closing, may we rest today in trust that our God is powerful enough to finish what he started, and he's faithful to see it to completion. He is bringing history, your history, our history, the world's history to its climax of a new Jerusalem where we will live fully in his presence in blameless delight. Okay? Come, Lord Jesus. And to that we can all say yes and amen. So, Father, we thank you this morning for the good news of who Jesus is. We rest in that. We, We thank you that you are a God who does the impossible. And, Lord, I ask for us that we would learn to trust you enough to bring um, what's really going on, our current circumstances, into, into our conversation with, with yeah. you, God. That, that we would not try to hide the fact that we are struggling to believe you for certain things, or even wanting to believe you for certain things. But that in that space of honesty, Lord, and of, of facing things as they really are, that we could see Jesus there, re- ready and willing and waiting to redeem and to restore And Lord, I pray for for all of us, there's definitely in each and every person in this room areas and and aspects of our lives that we're not fully trusting you with. And I ask, Lord, that you would graciously, kindly um, show us how to to relinquish that desire for control to you. That we would see that you actually are worthy of our trust because you're trustworthy. That you are who you say you are all the time, God. And that finally, that we could... And continually surrender to your way over our own way. That, Lord, you actually have good in store for us and that we can trust you with that. So, 
Lord, thank you for these people, and I thank you for the promise that you will finish what you started, that you will see this work of spiritual formation to its completion as we submit ourselves to you more fully and totally. So have your way, Lord. We want to live in your presence and be blameless before you. So we rest in that today and what Jesus has done. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.